trust is highly valuable. And if the people you're dealing with can't trust you and doesn't know that you have demonstrated yourself a high integrity, you know, there's no way you can do what you do. And you get on a witness stand and you don't know your stuff, you're going to get torn up. You're listening to Scott Hogue, a retired IRS special agent and currently the director of global investigations at Walmart. Scott is a guest whose comments are his own and not of Walmart. Welcome to the Fraud Fighter Podcast. You've got to listen more than you talk when you're a fraud investigator. But when it comes to an investigator, it is a 24-7. In this episode, we discuss how Scott chose forensic accounting and fraud investigations as a career. The different areas that global investigations oversee at Walmart the qualifications needed to be a good investigator, the steps needed to be an investigator at a large retail store, what retail investigators focus on, and the public corruption case that he is most proud of. He's a director of global investigations at Walmart. Scott Hogue, welcome to the Fraud Fighter Podcast. Hey, Robert. Thank you for having me. I appreciate being here and looking forward to our discussion today. How did you choose fraud investigations as a profession? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, when I was uh, growing up, I never thought I would get in fraud investigations, law enforcement. But through course of life, when I was my first year in college, um, I landed a job at the U.S. Marshal Service as a student aide. And that was due to my mom working for the federal courts. She worked for a federal judge. And just hearing her stories when she'd come home, different things happening, got an interest in, in criminal justice area. I thought I was going to be a lawyer. That was my goal uh, initially going into college. And just being around that environment at the Marshal Service, it was kind of a student aid position, working on some civil documents for them, turned into a full-time job. And just being in that environment, seeing different investigators work through all different agencies coming through, that really piqued my interest. And I thought, this is really something I want to do here. So um, just kind of history. I, I get there, started meeting different leadership in the other type of law enforcement agencies, if you will. And one of the guys was the chief of IRS criminal investigation. He approached me. What are you going to do when you graduate? And I said, well, I, I'm not sure. I just want to get in law enforcement. And um, he said, well, have you ever thought about coming to work for IRS? And I just laughed. I mean, I was like, all y'all do is audit. I don't want to work for IRS. <laughs> he said, no. Yeah. Come on over. Let me show you what we do. So went next door. I got to do a job shadow, if you will, for a day or two with some investigators, really learned what they were doing. It's like, man, they really dig here. It's it's more financial, white-collar type crime. This is really interesting. And I already was taking some courses uh, with business and accounting and so I was like, this really, really looks great. He offered me a job when I graduated, started as what we knew back then as tax fraud investigative aid. Again, just learning things. I had to pick up some more accounting courses to qualify. Was eventually hired as special agent with IRS criminal investigation and just wonderful career. It was it was just, I can't tell you how, how much I enjoyed that career. It was great. So in your career as a IRS special agent, where were you stationed at? Well, I was fortunate. I got to stay in Little Rock, Arkansas my entire career. 
I worked as a special agent for about 15, 16 years as an investigator. A wonderful woman leader took a chance on me, and I was able to step up as the supervisor. And through the course of time, it was basically we, our SAC was out of another state, so I pretty much managed the team out of the state of Arkansas for about seven to eight years and uh, got into another leadership position that was nationwide within IRS criminal investigation, but was able to do it, stay in there in Little Rock uh, while I traveled the countries. Ended, ended my career in Arkansas right where I started. Did you have any collateral duties as a uh, special agent? Through the course of time, it just rode through. I was assigned after 911 to JTTF, did a lot of things there. What is JTTF? Yeah, the Joint Terrorism Task Force, but right after 911. Uh, there was a government initiative, if you will, to start this task force. And so I was brought in over to work with FBI for about a year. And, of course, my focus was financial in nature. So I handled the financial aspects of the criminal investigations involving terrorism. Uh, within IRS, I was also the asset forfeiture coordinator and uh, learned a lot, uh, just processes, uh, a lot of tracing money, if you will, to the assets and how to get those things forfeited through the government and get some of that money back to victims as well that had been um, victims of fraud. After becoming a special agent, then a manager, then a national position, how did you land at Walmart? It was through a prior contact, if you will, at IRS. Walmart was actually in the process of building what we call the Global Governance Program as a whole, as a company. And in particular, they were building this investigative team for Foreign Corrupt Practices Act, FCPA. As you know, Walmart, we operate all over the world. And so they were looking for some experience in financial crimes and white-collar crimes that could really, from a retail standpoint, get involved. Are we compliant with the government laws, regulations, what's going on there? Got a call. And, you know, would this be something you'd be interested in, Scott? And I was like, well, I don't know. So I started doing a little background on just Walmart in general, figuring things out. Just worked out really good for me. Got up here, great team, was involved with great leadership here. And I've really just just really enjoyed this whole career path at Walmart as well. It's just been a great learning opportunity. I've learned so much about retail and, and people. It's, it's really been fun. So do you monitor like the supply chains and that type of thing? Yeah, so it's it's across the board at Walmart. There's it's it's so big, right? There's so many different facets of the retail industry of what's going on. We have our logistics, we have our supply chain, we have the different operations within this what we call store level. Of course, our financial services we offer a great low price to customers. Um, you know, then just in general, our merchandise that, that's being sold, being shipped. Now we're in the digital environment, right? We're really heavy in the dot com world. And um, as we all know, fraud occurs. So uh, in all these different aspects, we have to watch what fraud's going on. And of course, we also got to do what we call risk spotting. We're constantly looking, what are the trends in retail fraud? What are the trends in, in our government? Are we compliant? We have a whole other area that handles our compliance issues, but we kind of work hand in hand with them uh, in those areas. So we're just constantly looking at different things within our company. And so we have a big global investigations unit that focuses on those things. I think, Robert, one, th one thing to me that's just so interesting about Walmart Global Investigations, we're not just here. We have teams in other countries that have been built out, and they focus, of course, on any retail fraud or ethics internal violations that may or policy violations that may occur. We're just a, a worldwide type of 
global investigations unit. So it's really interesting to be involved with a company like that. Usually when someone hears the word investigations, the first thing I think of is the guy at the corner checking your receipt to make sure you didn't steal a bunch of tires. And so yeah. what you're telling me that this is not just a property theft, a retail theft of someone just or an employee just stealing a few things out of the out of store. This is a lot bigger in nature, lots of money being involved. It is. And, and I think the best way to, to divide it out from global investigations is what I call three particular areas of GI. You will have your internal, so any ethics policy violations that are a very uh, high level I'm talking about. We got to make sure we're doing what we're supposed to do from a company standpoint. We got to make sure our associates are safe and doing what they're supposed to do. We got to make sure our customers are safe and doing what they're supposed to do. So we have a individual teams that really look at those type issues. They investigate those. Any allegations that may arise from whether it be an associate, uh, whether it be some somebody external, or even just our own. Another section we have in GI is our own analytics. We have a great analytic team that's been built. And they're looking at trends, red flags, what pops out. And then we have another team that's currently the, the team I'm on now is external focus. So as you said, it's not so much just somebody coming in stealing the TV. It's do we have organized retail crime? Do we have groups out there doing credit card fraud at very high dollar amounts that's across multiple states or any healthcare fraud that's going on or any healthcare matters, if you will? We focus on all those different entities as well as technology. Are people trying to get into our systems? Are there any type of data leak breaches, anything like that? We have a team that specializes in technology investigations as well. So it's um, it, it's really broad. It, it, there's a lot of things you have to look at when it comes to fraud, and we have a great operations team. We call them asset protection to handle a lot of those other in-store matters that you're talking about that we we would kind of consider maybe a little bit lower level of, of cost or a fraud perspective. What qualifications are needed, in your opinion, to be a good investigator? You've been an investigator for the IRS now, as well as for Walmart. What qualities are, are you looking for? What, what qualities do you think are needed? I think there's a lot you can start breaking down, depending on what, if you will, industry, what focus is. Is it crime? Is it internal? Is it insurance fraud? But I think in general, I think some qualities I could say is, first of all, integrity. And you got to have great integrity because it brings honesty, it brings trust. And that is one of the things that, you know, I can just say from the course of our career, both from the government and at Walmart, trust is highly valuable. And if the people you're dealing with can't trust you and doesn't know that you have demonstrated yourself a high integrity, you know, there's no way you can do what you do. Uh, you have to be inquisitive without any judgment. You got to have that instinct of do I want to dig? Do I like to dig uh, a little deeper? Do I want to go the extra mile, even if maybe it doesn't make sense? You know, at the end of the day, you look at it and go, you know what? That really didn't result in anything. Sometimes it won't. Right. Well, you just have to take those those risks. You have to understand strategy. You, you have to formulate a strategy. Everything is not a cooker or a cookie cutter based investigation. You have to sit down. What am I investigating? What is my goal? Uh, what's my plan? How am I going to attack this investigation? You got to do it free from any opinion, judgment, which goes back to when you talk about any type of fraud investigator, it's a continual learning and developing. Robert, I, I just look back on my career. Sometimes, your, whether it be your company or your government agency, wherever you work, will offer you training opportunities. But the better training I've learned is your own self development. Sometimes they, they're so engaged, you got to be so engaged as a company or agency with accomplishing your mission to go 
that as a fraud investigator, you have to self-develop. You have to go out there and find the things. What are the trends? What's going on? As I said early on, another big qualification to me is you got to be social. What I mean by that is how do you communicate? Are you approachable? Are you not approachable? Do you like just sitting in front of a computer? Or do you like to get out and you like to talk to people? Do you like to engage with people? Do you like to be part of a team? All this comes when it comes with communication is that you've got to listen more than you talk when you're a fraud investigator. There's times to speak and there's times to be quiet and listen. And that goes back to that strategy. There's all different ways of how you communicate, whether you're communicating with a victim, a witness, a subject, uh, with other peers, with high-level executives, you've just got to learn to communicate both orally and in writing. I think that's a huge, huge qualification you got to have. As far as education, I really that type of issue to me is a little different because it's just what type of investigator you're trying to be when it comes to your education, formal certifications, things in that area. So if someone wants to be an investigator and they want to work for a big box store, like the Walmarts or the Best Buys or name your retail store that's that's huge. How should they get started? What is the best way to have a person who's interested in that type of career? What would you recommend them to, to do or to get? What I mean, do they get a certain degree, a certain credential? How would they start? You really were hitting it when you talk about what type of retail. If you're talking about a large company, whether it's Walmart, uh, some other large retail company, I mean, certainly it's going to be education one. Got to have a background, if you will, in some type of uh, whether it's financial, could be whether you're going to be a, a accounting, CPA, audit, those type of things. You really need that because that's <laughs> everything involving fraud just about is going to be financial in nature. So you need to have that education. Certainly a, a college degree is, really enhances that as far as your competition when you're competing with other people. We're looking at somebody to hire, certainly. You know, that's an area we look at. Other certifications, as I said, whether it's a CFE, CPA, those type certifications. Again, it just depends on the certain area you're trying to get into. Certainly, those are great certifications to have and uh, certainly shows your initiative, shows your determination to get through those things. But I would say those would be some things to look for. Make sure you have that from an education standpoint and then flip to experience. It's a lot different of an investigator coming straight out of some type of education and you're going to land an investigator job. Today's world, if you will, you're seeing a lot of people think that when they come out from an education role, whether it be for fraud investigator or something else, they're going to land these great big jobs. And you have to show, you have to demonstrate that you can perform in these jobs. And so from a retail standpoint, your experience may be just getting in some type of environment, if you will, of a, of a job role, whether it be doing some type of insurance fraud investigator, whether it's any type of, like I said, loss prevention, just getting in some area that you understand where fraud is. You may just be an auditor at first, coming in, be an auditor, and then you just kind of work yourself through that environment, through experience and through contacts and relationships to showing, hey, I've got the skills here. And I'd like to end with this as far as qualifications, Robert, is you really need some analytical computer science, whatever you want. You need those skills nowadays. Everything's going digital. Everything's in that environment of using that technology. And the more you understand that and the more knowledge you have about that, 
that's going to land you those jobs. Are you talking about the nitty-gritty as in the mathematics behind it or the ones and zeros or where it comes to the programming side or just understanding what the, what the software is doing and can make rational inferences or some get some answers from it? I think it's getting the answer from it first. Understand that. We, there are teams, as I mentioned, we have one at, here at Walmart within GI that does the ones and twos and can do programming and can set up certain systems and certain tools and build those tools instead of having to go outside and buy those tools from, from another vendor. The main part I was thinking is just more of looking at things, understanding what are these things telling me? What are these dashboards? What's Tableau? Uh, what's reflecting that? How does Tableau work? How does the data get in the system? Uh, what data do we collect as a company and where is that data? I think it's just understanding that better. I think really would set you above some of the other people uh, when you're trying to compete for certain jobs. I would assume that a lot of your job is preventing and detecting, not just necessarily investigating. What areas of focus are for retail investigators? What What do you guys focus on? One big area here is consumer fraud. We really have a lot of, as we know, identity theft, credit card theft, or credit card compromise, bank accounts being compromised. Those areas, from an external standpoint, I would say those are a lot of things we look at. Those are trends we see. So we focus certainly on those items. One, because it goes straight against our mission where we're trying to save money to make lives better. And people have things stolen. If they use our facilities, being uh, Walmart stores or whatever, to try to service that fraud. And, And we try to collaborate and coordinate with other retail investigators. We certainly provide whatever information from a legal standpoint we can uh, with law enforcement and try to liaison with law enforcement to stop these crimes and, and these things going on. But there's two ways we do it. You brought it up. One, we just receive an allegation or we get a tip. But the other way is we are trying to prevent it. We call it risk spotting. We are looking at ways from the company, what risks are out there. If we spot that risk, let's attack that risk. And um, I think that's the biggest difference that I've noticed between coming out of the law enforcement world of investigator and a retail investigator. We look at things as we're investigating these things. We're not law enforcement, certainly, but what are ways we can mitigate? What can we do to stop this from our company standpoint? Do we have holes? Do we have gaps? Do we elevate this information, which we do with urgency, uh, to the other areas of the business so they can start working on things, compliance or ethics? All this is part of our overall governance program for our company because, again, we want to keep our company safe. We want to keep our associates safe. We want to keep our customers safe. And we want to save money for people. And that's how we do it, is doing this risk spotting, making sure we're compliant with all the laws you know, that are out there within the retail industry, within our society, within the different countries we operate in, because we operate in so many other different countries. It's vast. I'm just telling you, it's vast. But we have some great analytical tools that we can use to do some of this risk spotting. What resources or training have helped you along your journey in your career? What have you done personally? Yeah, so I know for me, the financial accounting, we really kind of mentioned that. But when I got that background training through education, that helped tremendously to even where I am today. I mean, there's no doubt that that got to be a background in any type of investigator if you want to get into investigations, fraud investigations. Understanding what you're doing. So from a law enforcement standpoint, we're looking at overcoming approving elements of a crime, right? From a retail standpoint, what you're doing is what is our policies, what is our procedures, what is the privacy laws? I mean, what can and can't be shared uh, outside? 
So all these things, when you talk about training and resources, you've got to use what's out there publicly. You've got to use when you're within the industry that you're involved, what kind of training and resources, what kind of information is out there for me. And I would say for me, that's the biggest thing of training. What helped me, making sure my investigations were always thorough and complete. And sometimes that meant that from a law enforcement standpoint, maybe we never proved there was a certain subject or that committed a crime. From a retail standpoint, it may just be we've done all we can and did we turn every rock over? Sometimes you, you have to do that to be thorough. Sometimes you have to move with urgency and your best strategy may have to change. I may have to go interview somebody maybe because they're about to leave the company, whereas I really wasn't prepared and ready to do that yet. So a lot of different things as far as that resource and training, but there's so much out there, Robert, just like what you're doing today. These podcasts, there's so much information out there that's free that you can learn from. I'm not about supporting criminals, but there's a lot of podcasts out there of, of people that's committed identity theft and things that get jump on and they get braggadocious, but you can learn a lot from them from hearing <laughs> that. I always find it ironic that come uh, come pay some money and hear me talk about how I stole money. It's like, yeah, okay. Well, you know, you're one out of a gazillion. And, fr- and frankly, you're probably wasn't the smartest one because the smart ones haven't been caught yet. I mean, it's just weird. It, it is. But, you know, you can learn a lot. There's a lot of books out there written by non-former criminals, uh, some great investigators and things like that, that really you can get out there. But I think for me more recently, uh, you have to understand when I started in investigator back in 86 and 87. So technology has really changed and increased and enhanced. And that right now is probably my area of most significance of learning, learning more about technology and the tools that are out there and available to you. Do you have a financial investigation in your career that you are most proud of or made a difference to you? A lot come to mind. I would say that there was one very large investigation that involved public corruption in Arkansas from a state government standpoint. And it has a great team of investigators with multiple agencies, primarily FBI, the uh, U.S. Attorney uh, and Assistant U.S. Attorney were great, uh, not partisan at all from the political environment. And it was just really – the reason it stands out to me, Robert, is this. is because in that particular investigation, there was some legislature movements by these certain individuals that they locked the market. And the market they locked was they were supposed to be helping children. And the way they locked the market was they had set up their own private companies to service that market or to be government reimbursed. And so they were making money over something they had implemented themselves, and and it involved children that were at risk. And that was sad. Some legislatures would do that. And to be able to investigate that, and we found some other crimes and things going on, that just felt very, I don't know if successful is right. It just gave you a good feeling. That, look, that's something in my career I was a part of. Certainly, I didn't lead it. I wasn't the main person in all of it. But just knowing I had a part of that and digging through the financial investigations to get there. And what was very interesting, what, what started to roll everything out was just your typical tax fraud investigation. That's what started bringing them all down uh, in the different crimes. So it was a lot of fun. Certainly was was sad. And, and then the second one, I would say, just involved a trustee that was over a multimillionaire involvement. And this trustee was a CPA and had been trusted over the years by certain owners, if you will, but started embezzling that money, moving that money out, using it for their own personal gain. And unfortunately, a lot of that money had been promised to the community for certain things like building hospitals or, or serving the community in other uh, philanthropy type situations. And the money was gone. 
just being able to be involved in those type of investigations, Robert, I think brings you better value back to the community and what you've done. Regarding the first investigation, I'm assuming th- that there was some public funding available for at we call just at risk children, and these corporations were set up by these what is called politicians, and so they were were they like just billing for non existent children? The scheme itself. Said the billing wasn't false as much as it was just saying okay, you have these at risk children. It's kind of like the old. Um, in-line medical fraud that would go on where you just have people stand in line that come through, weren't really looked at, wasn't really serviced, but yet they would up the billing codes, yeah. you know, saying all these different services they did. Well, similar to these uh, children at risk. So there were certain categories that they could bill for and just say, here's what we're doing or here's how many hours we're trying to uh, okay. it's it. They were like upcoding. It's, it's like a doctor saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cut your toenails and he charges for an amputation. It's very similar. Right, right. It's, or, okay. Or I spent 10 hours of legal work to try to help this child in foster care when actually they didn't spend 30 minutes. You know, things like that. Wouldn't that be considered just false billing to begin with? I mean, yeah, it's a real customer, but it's just false billing. It it would, Robert. But I think the main crux on this one was they locked the market. What they said was, okay, we're only going to allow three companies that are out there to even operate within the state of Arkansas. Right, Well, those three companies were owned by the individuals in the legislature that just locked it, and they wouldn't let any more companies. And they didn't disclose it publicly that they owned these companies. They were supposedly, quote-unquote, silent partners in it. Right. So right. Uh, it's almost like a bribery kickback corruption type deal, right? I mean, you're saying, hey, if you can get this law passed, then we'll start doing these billings, and you'll get so much of the money. What do you wish you have known when you first started? And going back, what do you wish you would have known before you became a special agent or a global investigator for Walmart? Probably the sacrifice of hours and time. There's so many careers out there, Robert, you can do. But when it comes to an investigator, it is a 24-7. I mean, even a retail investigator, you sacrifice a lot of your personal time. I mean, it's, it's just because there's always so much to do. When I say I wish I'd have known it, would I have changed anything? Absolutely not. I have loved every moment of every job I've had. Uh, certainly, there's been down, what I call downtimes. So like, man, this, you know, this is hard. This is stressful. There's a lot going on. I think that I wish somebody would have told me, just be prepared because you are really going to work hard. Which I had a habit of working hard based on what was instilled to me from my father. But I really think you need to know that this job's not for every person that wants to get that thinks, oh, this looks exciting. This looks fun. It is, but it's hard work and determination to get through it. You can't just phone it in. You can't mail it in. You're going to have to get your hands dirty and, and be on the scene and, and work it. You just Because other people around you will know it, and the judge will know it if you're in front of a federal court or any court. You know, the prosecutors, defense attorneys, they'll know whether that you're phoning it in or just, you know, you're getting a paycheck or you're actually doing the work for sure. Well, I can assure you this, Robert, based on experience. If you're if you're a law enforcement person or, or even in, in a private industry, and you get on a witness stand, and you don't know your stuff, you're going to get torn up. Oh, yeah. E- even though somebody did commit a crime, or you found the fraud that's involved, if you're not prepared, it's going to be caught out. With, because these prosecutors and defense attorneys, they are very well trained. And even though you think they're not, they know how to ask questions, and they know how to try to get you to manipulate answers. And that's why, to me, it's just hard work. It's preparing, as you said. And I, and I think the last thing is not ever, 
every allegation you receive is true. I mean, man, when I first started, it was like if an allegation come in, I was like, well, we were on the hopper and ready to go. Every allegation you receive doesn't necessarily mean it's true. doesn't mean you don't look into it. It doesn't mean you don't investigate it. It just may not be true. And so I, I can remember this, Robert, after about five years on the job, six years, I had an experienced investigator look at me and said, here's what you do. In, in law enforcement, he said, you go out and prove this person's innocence. That's your focus. Don't worry about guilt of elements of the crime. You go out and prove their innocence. And if you can't prove their innocence, then the guilt will come out and every element of the crime will be proven. And I try to keep that statement even to today and brought in the retail. Receive an allegation, go out and try to prove that they didn't commit that allegation or otherwise. And usually it, it comes out one way or the other. I don't have to be opinionated. I don't have to be judgment. I just look at the facts. Looking back on your career, what was the biggest mistake or loss opportunity? Very early on in my career would have been not keeping up with the contacts you made. You're moving so fast early in a career, whether no matter where it is, you're trying to be seen. You're trying to be noticed. You're trying to prove yourself. It's a great job you can do to benefit the company or agency you're a part of. And you know, sometimes you're moving so fast, you forget about those people that kind of helped you along the way or helped you in a certain situation that actually had an influence in you, whether it was your life of how you're acting, whether it was in your career as a whole. And we're moving even faster today. I mean, so much faster than what we did back in 86 and 87 when I started in my career. But I would just say that is the biggest mistake or lost opportunity is not keeping up with those individuals and appreciate them and letting them know how much value they've brought to them. You know, I'm getting in another season of my life. I'm getting a little little older. I'm not saying I'm old, but getting a little older that I'm starting to reflect more and like, I need to write a note to that individual. And I'm starting to try to do that and reconnect with some of these people just saying, I really appreciate the value you put in me or how you helped me along the way in those areas. And I think we need more of that. You ready for the final four questions? Oh, yes, sir. Final four. What is your biggest motivation now? helping others. As, as I mentioned, I think it's watching other people develop and helping them develop into the areas they want to get into and a career they love. That's, I just love doing that. I love meeting with people and students in college, students in high school, people that's already started within their career, meeting with them, people that's already working on my team or a team I'm involved with. Just what can I do to, to help them develop to where they want to get to? What book or books have changed your life or thinking? The most important book to me has been God's Word, the Bible. And you're like, well, Scott, what's that got anything to do with investigations? Well, we've talked a lot about integrity. And for me, the integrity, the moral principles, how you treat others, no judgment towards others, being inclusive, uh, how you communicate with others, all that in what I call that book. And it's definitely changed my life. It's changed my work. It's changed everything I do back early on in my career before 1986. There's some other books I would say that, that are out there that's really helped let me stop you right there for a second. What's your favorite book out of that Bible? Yeah, for me, it's Colossians. Really? You can go a lot to Proverbs, right? So it talks a lot in Proverbs about integrity and that. But when I get to Colossians, it gives me daily living. Think of Colossians 3 1. It says, If then you've been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where you're seated at the right hand of God and not on things from the earth. Where you've died and now your life is hidden with Christ in God. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body dead as to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, greed, 
because when all these, uh, the wrath of God will come and then starts listing all the different things you should have in your life. And so uh, that's just, to me, uh, Colossians has always been, I will say, just kind of my life journey uh, scripture has been out of Colossians. No, there's some there's some books in the Bible that just kind of push your buttons, and you're like, yeah, I like that one. That letter for that yeah. purpose to that people from that author speaks more to you than maybe another book would maybe. And I, I completely understand right. that. Yeah, yeah. Right, right. I'm sorry, right. you're talking about other books, too. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so some other books maybe that more recently, I would just say, so fun to be part of a company of people that develop quickly. So my CEO will always usually take a picture of books he's read over the course of the year. And, and I love to see those because I'm like, okay, where's our leader taking our company and what's he learning? He had one book called A Logarithms to Live By. And it was really enlightening. I was like, I got to read this book, see what's going on. And it's about the computer science of our human decision. It was a great book. Now, it's very detailed. Uh, you have to stay along with it. But it really helped me along, even just with hiring, of hiring, of what the statistics is, are about how many people you interview or how many applications you get and moving with a sense of urgency. So that book's really helped me a lot in leadership. There's another great book with The Speed of Trust. Many people, I'm sure, have, have seen it by Stephen Covey but, but, and Rebecca Merrill. But it's those type books, I would just say, Robert, that have helped me along the years, and those are two recent ones that really helped in my current environment, I'd say, in leadership and team building. Share something that you have purchased in the last 12 months that's less than $100 that you enjoyed or made your job easier. If it's good enough for Scott, it's good enough for the whole world. What would that be? <laughs> well, since we're in this COVID environment that, uh, that's been going on, I did recently get a new chair in my home office, if you will. My kids were laughing at me. They are grown when I was still calling kids. But they saw this little chair I was sitting in because we've been doing a lot of work from home due to the, the COVID issue. So they went out and got me a new office chair. So that's really helped. I'm telling you, I can't believe how, how much that's helped my back and just my overall stamina throughout the day. So that would be certainly one. And then I would say a new set of ear pods of just communication. We're on the phone. We're on Zoom. You know, all those things going on. All right. If you had to do something else, what would you be doing? If you got fired today from Walmart, what would be your second career or third career now? Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm, I'm glad you prefaced it because if you ask what what do I want to do, it'd be working at Walmart. I mean, I really love this job. It's a lot of fun. But if all said and done, it, it would definitely be actually volunteering a, a non-paid type thing. Of I would love to help some children in some way, in some fashion, whatever role that may be, whether it's um, currently involved in this ministry of building these bump beds for children that don't have beds and delivering those to them free of cost. Something like that, I'm still trying to fill my way. I don't know if it would be, I'm not saying I'm a builder, but be involved in some house buildings for, for people that are low economically and need some help to, to get into a house or food bank. I'm not sure yet, Robert. I think that's a great question, and I'm kind of feeling my way for whatever that next season of life I may be in of, of how I want to, where do I want to move. It certainly won't be sitting on a couch watching TV, I can assure you. No, I understand. Well, Scott, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you for your service to your country as a criminal investigator and best wishes for you at, at Walmart and being a director of global investigations. I do appreciate your time on the podcast. You bet, Robert. Thank you for reaching out to me and appreciate uh, you having me on. Really enjoyed it. 